Hi, I'm Pastor Adam, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. This morning, we wrap up our Oldies Playlist Sermon Series, and we have a special guest preacher with us. His name is Justin Robbins, and he is uh, coming to us from Duke Divinity School. He is a second year student there. He also happens to be my nephew. Uh, And so many, I know many people say, how could he be your nephew? (laughs) Y'all look so close in age, and I say, that's right, he's 23. That's right. You keep believing that. I am one of 10 children, so I'm number seven. Justin is my oldest brother Brad's uh, son. And so uh, Justin comes to us from Duke Divinity by way of Virginia Wesleyan University. And he actually lives with Fred and Nancy Brooks while he's pursuing his studies. So he's very conveniently located to Orange and has been worshiping with us since he began attending Duke. He also helped our confirmation class this past year as they studied and was uh, got to know them in that way. And so we're grateful for not only his presence among us, but for his uh, presence today as he's gonna offer a word uh, inspired um, again and closing out our oldies playlist. So welcome, Justin. Pastor Corey asked if there's anything specific I would like for her to announce to introduce me, and I said, just don't say anything embarrassing. (laughs) Won't you all please join me for the prayer of illumination found on your bulletin. Jesus, our guide, you explained the scriptures and revealed yourself to the disciples and us. Now, by your spirit, enlighten our minds to understand your witness and ignite our hearts to receive you at the table. Amen. Our first scripture today comes from 1 Samuel 25, 10 through 33. And uh, won't you uh, turn uh, toward that with me now? But Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and the meat that I have butchered for my shearers and give it to the men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. David said to his men, every man strap on his sword, and every one of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword, and about 400 men went up with David, while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he shouted insults at them. Yet the men were very good to us. And we suffered no harm, and we never missed anything when we were in the fields, as long as we were with them. They were a wall to us, both night and day. All the while, we were, keeping, they, we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know this and consider what you should do, for evil has been decided against our master and against all his house. He is so ill-natured that no one can speak to him. 
Then Abigail hurried and took two hundred loaves, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five measures of parched parched grain, one hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs. She loaded them on donkeys and said to her young men, Go ahead of me, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. As she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of mountain, David and his men came down towards her, and she met them. Now David said, Surely it was in vain that I protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. But he has returned me evil for good. God do so to David, and more also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and alighted from her donkey, alighted from her donkey, and fell fell before David on her face, bowing to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Upon me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant, my Lord. Do not take seriously this ill-natured fellow Nabal, for his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him, but I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, since the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from taking vengeance with your own hand, now let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be like Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If anyone should rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living under the care of the Lord your God, but the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel my Lord shall have no cause of grief no pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for having saved himself and when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord then remember your servant David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you to meet me today. Blessed be your good sense, and blessed be you, who have kept me today from blood guilt and from avenging myself by my own hand. The second scripture, it's a much shorter scripture, from Luke 10, 23 through 24. Then, turning to the disciples, Jesus said to them privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see, but do not see it, and to hear what you hear, but do not hear it. 
This is the word of God for all the people of the whole world. Thanks be to God. Siblings in Christ, will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here at Orange United Methodist, to be with this community of faith and fellowship, to be within this family of Christ. As I preach today, may the words spoken not be mine, but be yours. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts and minds and the very deeds of our hands be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning, friends. My name is Justin Robbins. As mentioned earlier, I am a student at Duke Divinity School. Sorry to all the UNC fans. It's another Duke preacher, I know. Uh, And for the past year, I've been able to join you all here at Orange United Methodist and helping out wherever I can, like teaching confirmation. But if you've met me, then you know I introduced myself in a very specific way by saying, hi, I'm Justin, I'm Pastor Corey's nephew. And that got me thinking over the past year, who have I associated myself with? Who have I claimed and attached myself to socially? Perhaps when you've introduced yourself at a party, you might say, I'm so-and-so's husband or wife. I'm so-and-so's child, so-and-so's sibling or friend. And for me, in lots of circles, it's definitely Aunt Corey. Uh, both in church and in school. She mentioned Virginia Wesleyan for my undergrad. The reason why I went there also is because she went to Virginia Wesleyan. (laughs) And wherever I go, she has always left a wonderful impression. As I'm sure you know, she is wise and understanding and so smart she makes everyone else, well, never mind. Um, (laughs) But maybe not just familiarity with a person, but also who have you followed in the footsteps of? Who have you listened to? I certainly have for Corey. Even when I moved here while going to Duke, I knew exactly where I was going to church. She can't get rid of me to save her life. I'm going to be honest with you. And in a lot of ways, just as I claim nephew of Corey, Jesus claimed son of David, especially in Matthew. That's so often how he's introduced. And that introduction, that relationship with a well-known king, it helps people understand who this Jesus guy is. And in that statement, it's in that, in that phrase, son of David, it's not only describing King David, but it's describing David's household. Not even just the ones named in the lineage or that are genetically related to Jesus, but his whole house. And in this story, we get a very interesting tale of a woman who's in David's household, who, if I can be honest with you, I hadn't heard of before I had ever gone to seminary. I had gone to church my whole life. I did the coloring pages in Sunday school. I did vacation Bible school. And I even used one of those felt boards that Pastor Adam told us about yesterday. But I didn't ever recall hearing about Abigail, our protagonist. And I think that's a shame because how incredible her story really is. 
And I know y'all just heard part of it, a rather long part of it, uh, but I'd like to break it down further and kind of tell her whole story. This is, in a way, making up for the vacation Bible school class that never was. <laughs> Setting the scene, we have King David, or should I say pre-King David, because it's a very odd time where God has anointed David as king over all of Israel, but Saul is still physically on the throne, and lots of people still see Saul as the king. So David is on the run in the wilderness with a group of soldiers loyal to him, and he's been asked to wait for God to do what God said he would do, allow David to rise to power. But David's also planning, and he's being very strategic about his time in the wilderness. One might even say David is scheming. So in the wilderness where no one else can really see, there's this prosperous farmer called Nabal. And his name in Hebrew literally means fool or foolish one. Now, if you don't think your parents had very high expectations of you, <laughs> imagine them just naming you fool. It says in the Bible that he's quick-tempered. He sees himself as a king. He's very materialistic. He keeps the liquor cabinet full. But if there's one positive thing we can say about Nabal, He's got good taste in women, or at least one woman, because he has a wife named Abigail, whose name means joy, or the father's joy. Now that's a name to write home about. Um, but it's uh, not only uh, is Abigail joyful or beautiful, as the Bible says, but she's incredibly wise. She's intelligent, she's good with people we see, she's an arbiter, and that leads me to believe that we know that the real person who's running the farm, the servants, and the land, their name isn't Fool, it's Abigail. Now, we've got Nabal, we've got Abigail, and we've got this big farm with lots and lots of people, servants, and it's really almost like a small town in the wilderness. And David's thinking, harvest and sheep shearing season is coming up. And I'm sure that these people would hate to lose their sheep or their goods to bandits or wolves or the other things you could run into in the wilderness. So I'm going to send out soldiers and they're going to guard the sheep and they're going to guard the shepherds. And I'm going to tell the soldiers to be as nice and polite as possible. Do not take anything. And then, once harvest season comes around, I will ask for what is rightfully mine. Just a gift for keeping the people and the sheep safe. I'm not going to ask for much. Just what is right. And hopefully, he's in a good mood, being that it's such a prosperous time and such a prosperous farm. Now, whether you see this as sneaky on David's part or not, I certainly see it as a kind of scheme. I mean... David is basically a political outcast trying to play Robin Hood while waiting on God. And he's got hungry and bored soldiers. And if there's anything that I know, it's that you should never uh, keep a, uh, a, a, a young man uh, idle for too long. Shenanigans will ensue. Uh, so he's trying to keep them busy and keep them full. Now, uh, once this does happen and it's time to shear the sheep, a representative from David comes and asks for the gift. 
and Nabal responds, as we saw in scripture today, who is this guy? Who is this David, son of Jesse? I do not know him. And I wonder if the messenger after that response was, you know, the guy who slayed the Goliath, the war one, you know, a lot of people want him to be king. But in reality, Nabal wasn't asking who David was. He was insulting him. He was saying, David's not worth my attention, uh, isn't worth the space in my brain. It's a cultural insult. And it actually makes me think of Exodus, funny enough, another oldie but goodie. And uh, when, when Pharaoh is told by Moses to let my people go, he is uh, told that I am sent by I am who I am. And Pharaoh says, I do not know this God. Pharaoh has lots of Israelite servants. I'm sure that Pharaoh's heard of this God, but it's the same type of insult. It's the answer's no, and it's not worth my time. And I'm sure many of you have seen Prince of Egypt or read Exodus, and you know what happens next, which is that God shows Pharaoh exactly who he is through plagues, famine, violence. And David, well, he knows the story. And when he's told by the messenger that Nabal says this, he's thinking, I'll show him who David is. And I won't stop until every man in that town is dead. Now, I don't know about you, but this is where David goes from a pretty sympathetic character to just another fool like Nabal. To somebody who's going to fight violence with violence, anger for anger, evil for evil, and sin for sin. And we know how that goes. Of course, Exodus is different. It's freeing God's people. I still uh, occasionally struggle with it. But I know that what David's doing here is absolutely wrong. He's about to commit mass murder based on rage and pettiness. Based on what he thinks would be fair. What he thinks would be just. And it is the sheer force of these two testosterone-filled idiot men that's going to lead to destruction and death. David tells the soldiers to put on their swords and get ready for battle. Meanwhile, we have Abigail. And she's talking with some of the sheep herders and other folks in town. And they're saying that David's men treated the shepherds really well and they guarded them with the utmost care and respect. <laughs> These were good men. And when David asked for the gifts and services provided for his services as rendered, Abigail as all, or Nabal, as always, was cruel and hot-headed and rude. Abigail starts to put two and two together. Nabal just basically said, you and what army to a guy that has an army? So she begins packing up food, uh, sheep and wine, and it's honestly not that much, all things considered. David has 600 men, and she brings less than a half a dozen sheep ready to eat. But she knows that literally giving him anything, just enough for one meal, would be better than nothing. It would be more customary, and it might just save everyone. And she doesn't ask her husband, I wouldn't either, to heck with that guy. He's not really running the town anyway. I am. 
he's clearly not going to be checking the inventory. So she gets on a donkey, grabs a couple of her servants, and rides off to meet the men halfway. And when she meets them, hold on, I want you all to picture this. All right. So when she meets them, there's a desert background. She rides above a dune. Uh, She sees a 400-man army ahead of her. And this army just sees her and a couple handmaidens, the opposite of what they were expecting to see that day. And she drops to the ground and says, my husband's not worth it, David. Forgive him, for he knows not what he's doing. He's an idiot. His name is literally fool. His name is who he is. And so I am giving you these gifts, this food, and it's not really out of the justice that you are seeking, but at this point, it's out of grace. I'm going to take on the sins that are not mine and give you this. Whatever you would do to him and my people do to me. Because you can't trade evil for evil, but you can trade it for good. Whoa. I don't even think I need to preach this at this point because it preaches itself. We have a Christ figure here in Abigail a thousand years before Christ, willing to take on the brutish nature of this testosterone-filled 400-man army to save her town because of her husband's sins. And David, David just accepts this grace, accepts what he doesn't deserve. He's been enraged. God just told him to wait in the wilderness. He really didn't need to engage in any of this. He has stepped out of line too. But he accepts her grace, crisis averted. And once she gets back home, what's the mister doing? Is he getting ready for battle? Has he seen the writing on the wall? No. Scripture tells us that he is drunk. He fancies himself a king again. David and his men would have come to the town and slaughtered everybody before he could have put his bottle on a coaster. The next morning, when he was sober, Abigail told him what happened, and the Lord gave him a heart attack. It says his heart got heavy, and he died. Now, I never like to assume why God would ever do such a thing, but I think in this case, God may have been thinking, I think I might need this Abigail woman for this new king. He needs somebody in his corner that's as wise as her. And in a couple of days, when David figures out what happens, he remembers this Abigail woman and he's thinking, I do need her in my court. I do need her in my corner. And he asks for her hand in marriage, to which she happily obliges. And thus ends the story of Abigail, the woman who stood between two armies to represent the image of God. Now, taking a step back, we exist in a liminal space just like Abigail did, in that odd in-between space when Jesus, like David, has been anointed to be king over all, but many in the world don't see it that way. Lots of people and things are on the throne instead. But it's in this story 
that we can see ourselves find yourself in God's story. I think I've heard that before at Orange. And while I would love to say that I see myself in the character of Abigail, that just ain't the truth. I totally see myself as one of these two fools, ignorant, constantly thinking about what I can get, foolish, and when something doesn't go my way, you can bet that I'll get mad. But this story reminds me to listen when people are much smarter and calmer than I am. Now, you see me talking up here, and you probably assume, assume correctly, that I like to talk. (laughs) But where I need to continue to grow is when it comes to listening. I've just finished uh, what was called CPE as a part of my seminary experience. That's called Clinical Pastoral Education, where I got to serve for the summer at Duke University Hospital. And uh, it was a wonderful opportunity where I got to encounter so many wonderful patients with so many wonderful stories. And that was all to be expected. But now what I didn't expect was that I got to have lots of meetings and speak with lots of the other chaplains. They were in the same position that I was, training, discerning, learning. And in my group, there was a teacher who was male, two other chaplains, both guys, and one woman. Her name was Eliza. Only one woman in the lot of the group. And now we got to present these things called verbatims during which we got to share the good and the bad and the gross and the stressful and the wonderful about being a chaplain this summer. And we got to ask, what do you think about this? What could I have improved on? What did I do well? And how can I do it better next time? And it was great because you have all these people from different denominations and traditions and backgrounds that all have great advice that are coming at you. But occasionally, because of all this chaos and this advice, Eliza would get drowned out in the conversation. Maybe more than occasionally. And this is an absolute shame because of all the pieces of advice that I had gotten in my verbatims, I definitely remember hers the most. Don't get me wrong, everyone's was wonderful, but she would always come to the table with these very poetic metaphors, this imagery that I just couldn't even think of in a million years. But then she would hone in and tell us practical advice also. It reminds me of Abigail coming in with the food and then extending grace, and then extending truth. And just to give you a little bit of insight into who I am, I'm always curious. I'm asking questions. I want to know people, and especially if people are different from me. So whenever I would run into somebody from a different country or somebody who had maybe been to war, or especially if somebody was from a different religion, I would ask them lots of questions. I wanted to know all about it. And usually, people were happy to talk about it. I was able to spend time with them, keep them company, and ask about their time in the hospital, but also try to get to know them on some personal level. Just be their friend. Now, I'm presenting a patient case to the group one day, and it's especially difficult because the person is so different from me, so I'm so interested, but I just don't know how to touch it in some ways. 
the three other guys in the group are telling me how I could go deeper with this patient on this one specific thing, this thing that I had already been focusing on and how I should uh, do it, uh, how I should push on it, press on it a little bit more. And in the midst of all this chaos in the conversation, I hear Eliza say, why did I focus so much on that specific element of that person when we are so complex in the image of God? And while I know I said something about how that was just, you know, the difficult part of this case, and um, I just didn't know how to tackle it. I knew in my heart that I had tokenized someone. And maybe, without thinking about it, I had been doing that all summer. I had taken one thing and defined someone's whole identity just based on that. And so... While this chaotic mess was happening, and even that got covered up by more conversation by some of the other chaplains, it was in this liminal space, this space in between the two armies, that Eliza's voice stood out, just like Abigail. And that advice stuck with me throughout the rest of my time at the hospital more than anything else. Now... I'm obviously aware of my privilege up here. As a male, my voice has been louder than anyone else's for a real long time. Heck, I'm talking into a microphone right now. <laughs> David and Nabal are much the same way. They're rulers with a lot of power and a lot of privilege. And I think many of us know the Bathsheba story where David took advantage of that power and privilege. Ruining a marriage, ruining and ending several lives, and I'm willing to bet Abigail had some choice words to say about that instance. And I can't say that David's or mine or our actions will ever be perfect. Far from it. But this story challenges me, at least, to listen to the voices that other folks might ignore. Those voices sometimes carry the most of God's spirit. And it's clear to me the one thing that David certainly did right was listen to the bold woman who stood in front of literally hundreds of men, took on someone else's sin, and offered grace. So will you pray with me in the name of Jesus, son of the household of Abigail? Lord God, I thank you for this story. I thank you for your spirit showing through in such amazing ways through this woman and through the many heroes of the Old Testament. As we continue to walk in your way, help us to listen to the voices that others may not. And help those voices out there that others may silence to be lifted up. Continue to fill this place with your spirit in the amazing ways I've seen and in more amazing ways that no one ever has. Bless this church, their ministry. Bless the people. Bless your family here. We praise you, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.